Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you here. It's good to sing together. I thought I'd take a minute after we just sang hallelujah. Whew. Is that all right? I'll just keep talking. for. I'll say nothing important for the next minute or two while you sort through that. But uh, every once in a while, you want to teach into the things that we say. So we've been singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Who knows what that means? Yeah, see, that's tricky. So one person, that's good. So one person knows what that means. Did you know hallelujah is taken, it's just from the Hebrew. It's the verb halal, which is to praise. And then yah, which is the short form of Yahweh, which is God. So when we say hallelujah, we're just saying praise God, praise God. So next time we sing that, you'll know. That's what we're saying. Praise God. He's worthy of praise. And today, especially, as our whole culture stops to say thank you, I think it's such an appropriate day for us to carve out a whole lot of time to respond in gratitude. And so this is going to feel a little different today if you're joining us for the first time. This isn't a typical service here at Redeemer. We'll typically spend probably 40 minutes uh, studying the Word. Uh, Today we're going to trim that probably in half. And what we want to do is we want to propel ourselves into response and gratitude. Uh, That's what our text calls for today. And I think it's just an appropriate response for us as the people of God. I won't get you to raise your hand, but I imagine that there are some people here today who maybe you're not going to have a family gathering over the course of this weekend. Um, maybe, maybe Thanksgiving's a kind of a difficult time for you as you watch the world celebrating, sitting down at a table with their family, and that's just not something that you're going to enjoy for the day. Well, I want to encourage you today and say you are going to sit down at the table with your family. We're gathered here as the family of God, and at the end of this service, we're going to partake of communion, which is the Eucharist. Do you know what the Eucharist means? It's the Thanksgiving. We're going to come, and we're going to have the Thanksgiving meal together as the family of God, and my hope and my prayer is that that will fill your tank and spur you on. This is a very appropriate way to celebrate Thanksgiving, and I'm glad we can do it together. So we're going to spend our time in response, and before we do that, though, I want to begin with a call to worship. And, uh, and then before I do that, I'm not distracted, but I'm just going to ask, it feels a little bit echoey. I don't mind using the handheld if that's distracting. Uh, give me, is this distracting? Give me a thumbs up if you're a bit distracted by the sound. Just like one or two people. Okay, well, that's fine. Sometimes, <laughs> well, then you can cope. There's something about the shape of this room. Every once in a while, it bounces back and it just bounces around in this little room I'm in. And I feel like I'm preaching in a tin can, which is fine. I would preach in whatever can you have, but, uh, oh, that's better right there. Thank you. Whew. Good. Disregard that. Let me get, let's get it back in. Call to worship. That's where we were. Call to worship. So this is another time to talk about why we do what we do as a church. Josh does such a great job leading us each week. He comes and he sings these songs, but do you notice before he sings, he does something, doesn't he? He opens up God's word and he leads us in a call to worship. Typically it's from the Psalms, though every once in a while it's not. But he leads us in this call to worship. Why does he do that? Why do we do that? Well, let me tell you two reasons why the call to worship is so important. First and foremost, the call to worship reminds us that worship is God's idea, not our idea. Right? Worship reminds us that this is something that God told us to do. If it was just our idea, then some weeks we wouldn't do it at all, would we? Some weeks you roll out of bed and you're thinking, the last thing in the world I want to do is sing. Right? I just wrestled with my kids. My wife and I had a little spat in the car. My voice is sore. I don't like singing in the first place. I'm not going to sing today. 
But the call to worship says, hey, this isn't actually your idea. This is God's idea. We're gathering together to worship, and singing is one of the ways that we do that. And we're doing it because God has called us to, because this is good for us, and he deserves it. So that's the first thing it does. But the second thing it does is related. The call to worship confronts, addresses, rebukes, and corrects our tendency towards grumbling and ingratitude. You know, we have this day set apart, Thanksgiving. It's the day when we stop and we give thanks. And I think that's so great. I'm glad Canada does this. Because our mother tongue is not thankfulness. Right? If you were just to poke me on any given moment, the words that come out of me are not usually gratitude. It's usually grumbling. That's our natural disposition. And that's true for us as worshipers. As we come to this place and we gather to to respond to God, our natural disposition is to come with a laundry list of everything that's wrong with the world and everything that's wrong with our lives and everything that's wrong with this church. That's just the way we are wired. And the call to worship says, hey, 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 stop. Look at your God. Isn't he awesome? Isn't he amazing? Now, some of the Psalms, they give voice to our feelings because those matter. But a lot of us put our feelings in the driver's seat when the feelings should be in the back seat. They're there. So the psalmist can say, you know, like, my heart is groaning. I'm crying out all the day long. He says that. But then he concludes and says, but praise God. God is great. And so the call to worship reorients us. And it, it addresses our tendency towards ingratitude. And it calls us to praise. That's what it is. So next week, as, as Josh opens up the text and he leads us in a call to worship, just know that that's what's happening. It is God speaking to us as his people, his worshipers, and it is him calling us into gratitude. And that's what we're going to do today with our time in the text. We're going to read from Psalm 150, and we're going to spend time in what I would call an extended call to worship. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 150. It's right at the end of the Psalms, and the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. So if you're looking for that quickly, that's where you are. Middle of your Bible, the very last Psalm, Psalm 150. As you're looking there, I'll remind you that the book of Psalms is the songbook for the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the worship hymnal that was written by God for his people. And so the church has been using this ever since we first received the Psalms to, to come together in praise. And it's filled with these calls to worship which suggests that, that this tendency towards grumbling is not unique to us. Right? God's people have always needed this reorientation. And here it ends with this resounding call to worship, this resounding song of praise. Psalm 150 is actually, if you can picture it this way, it's actually verse 5 of this closing song that ends the book of Psalms. The last five psalms in the book of Psalms are called what? Anybody know? Gary would shout this out. Is he not, he's not in here. Okay. Sons of Gary, does anybody know? The Hallelujah Psalms. The Hallelujah. See, he's going to watch this, and you're going to know that next week. I guarantee you that. The Hallelujah Psalms and the book of Psalms. And, and there's no more talk about, oh, my feelings, oh, my discouragements. No, the Psalms end with this resounding five-verse song of praise. And here we are in the final verse, the big celebration, the resounding conclusion. Here now, God's holy inspired inerrant, living, active word to us today. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. 
Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in a typical sermon, if you join us on any given week, I read the text. That's what we just did. I explain the text, and that takes a chunk of time, and then we apply the text. Well, I don't know if you were listening, but I don't know that there's going to be a lot of explaining needed for this text. It's pretty straightforward, but it's the application where we so often struggle. But here's the thing. The application is going to resound for all eternity, so we want to get it right, and we want to lean in. So would you just lean in and listen now to this call to worship? And if you look close, you can see it outlines kind of the where and the why, and the how, and the who of worship. I stole that from Derek Kidner. Unfortunately, I had already written my own outline, which is not nearly as good. Uh, So let's unpack this call to worship with this outline. It begins by pointing us to the place of worship, the where. Look at verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So here the psalmist is using what we find in the psalms called parallelism. So it's kind of two lines that are related that, that bring together this idea. And here he's saying, in effect, praise him everywhere. But this is interesting, because if I were to write two lines that communicate praise him everywhere, I would probably write praise God in his sanctuary, here, and, and praise him as you scatter out into the world, right? Praise him out there. That's what I would say. But the psalmist confronts us here, and he says, oh, no, you're thinking too small. Praise Him in the sanctuary, that is, praise Him on the earth. And praise Him in His mighty heavens. Isn't that remarkable? Do you know what He's saying there? He's saying, yeah, we're going to praise Him in our corporate worship. right? We're going to gather, we're going to proclaim His name. He should be praised on the earth. But He should also be praised in the heavens. So praise Him, angelic beings, host of angels. Praise Him. Which takes some chutzpah. The psalmist here is addressing the angels, and he's saying, praise the Lord. Does the psalmist have authority over the angels? No. Well, here's the crazy thing. Not only is the psalmist saying it, but this psalm is written for our use. So he's telling us to say it. He's telling us to address the angels and to say, praise the Lord. How does he do that? Well, we don't have the authority, but God is worthy of the praise. And so we can say it. So we can say, hey, angelic hosts, praise him. And if that feels foreign to you, I want you to know that you do this very often in this church, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. Remember, we started the service. How do we start the service? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Right? Praise him in a sanctuary, all, everybody here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Who do you think we're singing to? Not the birds. We're saying, angels, join your voices with ours. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We are declaring that God is worthy of resounding praise on the earth, in the sanctuary, in the heavens, around His heavenly throne, everywhere. God deserves praise. One commentator notes, so the call is to God's worshipers on earth, meeting at his chosen place, but also to his heavenly hosts to mingle their praises with ours. His glory fills the universe 
his praise must do no less. Isn't that good? Doesn't that change the way that you sing? It changes the way I sing. When we lift up our feeble voices here, the 90 of us, the 80 of us on any given Sunday, some of us tone deaf, some of us struggling, some of us raspy voices, throat problems, but as we lift up this meager song in this place, we join our voices with the praise and adoration of the angels around the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. There's something about that. Something special, something sobering, something emboldening, isn't it? Let's sing that way. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Let gratitude and adoration resound in every realm. That's the wear of worship. But second, this call to worship reminds us of the essence of worship. The why. Look at that verse 2. It says, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So again, parallelism. Two lines expressing the same thought but from a different angle. He says, praise Him for what He's done and praise Him for who He is. And the two can't be separated. right? Praise Him because He has rescued you. Praise Him because He's the rescuer. Praise Him because He's redeemed you. He's the redeemer. Praise Him because He has purified you. He is a consuming fire. Praise Him because He overflows with kindness and mercy and gentleness because He is love. Praise Him because He overthrows and casts out the power of the evil one because He is holy, holy, holy. Praise Him because He cares for widows and orphans. Praise Him because He he cares for those who are lost and lowly and weak because He is the God of all comfort. Praise Him because He invites us in to take refuge in Him because He is the rock of ages. Praise Him because He is worthy of your praise now here's the thing and i was listening to this podcast that keith sent me which is always dangerous because it's related to this and i'm trying not to preach what alistair Begg would preach but he had this great illustration that i will shamelessly steal from alistair Begg. he met uh with a, a baseball team chicago cubs perhaps i don't remember he didn't know you know he's from england right scotland oh he'd be mad i said that wouldn't he don't forward this to alistair Begg. Here's this Scottish guy, and he's in America doing this thing, and he gets to meet with, let's say, the Cubs. And everybody's so excited, and they're clamoring, and he says, I don't care. Who is that guy? I wouldn't know that he was anyone except for the crowd around him with the photographs. I don't care. And the person next to him said, if you knew who he was, you would care. If you knew who he was, you'd be lining up to get an autograph. But he didn't know who he was, so he didn't care at all. And it's true in our worship. It carries over. So many times I find people, and and I I see it in myself, where we just, hands in our pockets, so reserved. Here we are worshiping the living God, ascribing greatness and honor and glory and declaring that He's awesome, but there are people here who just don't know who He is. If we did, my word, we would respond differently. If you knew who He was. That's what He's saying here. John Calvin says the same thing before Alistair Bagg ever did. So I'm stealing from both of them. John Calvin said, Until men rightly apprehend how much they owe to the mercy of God, they will never with a right feeling worship Him, nor be effectually stimulated to fear and obey Him. This morning, I want to remind you, first of all, and when we read the Psalms, we see this corporate nature 
the Psalms are full of language about what God has done for us as the people. And so they talk about how he delivered us through the Red Sea, how he crushed Pharaoh's army for us. He gave the law to us. So there's this communal language, but you also find in the Psalms this personal language about what the Lord has done for me as this, this member of his family. The Bible says his eye is on the sparrow. Like God cares about the little dead sparrow and he cares about little old me too. And when I see what he's done for me, it changes me. And it makes me want to give him praise and glory and honor because he is worthy of it. I want you to think about this. Let this rest in this for a second. Across our country, millions of men and women and boys and girls are stopping to give thanks. But how many of them are actually giving thanks to the one from whom all blessings come? How many people today are going to sit around tables and indulge in drunkenness? Rather than saying thank you to the God who blessed them with all these things, they're going to thank one another and they're going to revel and they're going to get drunk and they're going to dishonor God. And it's a shame when you think about it because every good gift comes from God. Let that not be true of the people here. Let God's people overflow with gratitude and praise. Let us stop and remember what He has done for us. You who were dead in your sin, remember that He picked you up out of the muck and He washed you off and He made you a child of God. Remember how He's waged war with the sin in you and He's broken off the chains and He's delivering you day by day from one degree of glory to the next. Remember that He sets you apart for glory. This inheritance. He's prepared a place for you. Jesus said, He he said, do you not know where I'm going? I'm going to prepare a place for you. You who could never do anything to deserve that place. Remember that you've been cleansed and purified by the precious blood of the Son of God. You are loved and redeemed and restored, and so praise Him. Praise Him because of who He is. Praise Him because of what He has done. Praise Him because of His infinite worth. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. People of God, praise Him. That's the why, that's the essence of worship. But next we find the tone of worship. The psalmist instructs us in verses 3 to 5. Look there with me. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. And so you ask the question, well, how should we praise Him? And the psalmist says, you you praise Him with whatever you can lay your hands on. Right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Grab what you can find and praise Him with it. It is His. It belongs to Him. And turn it back in praise to Him. Music. There's something indescribable about it. Christians aren't the only ones who know that. Just as human beings, there's something inside of us that stirs to music. It's a beautiful thing. Martin Luther has this great quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, I have no use, before I read it, Martin Luther, to be fair, people were trying to kill him all the time. So he comes off a little grouchy sometimes. You can judge him for that, but he had a a tough time. I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil, makes people gay. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next after theology, I give to music 
the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not exchange what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governance of the feelings of the human heart. Martin Luther says, I love music. How could you not love music? And, that, and yet, there is a part of, of us, maybe not all of us, but I see it all the time. Christians can be very suspicious of music. And we fight about music. Oh, shame on us that we fight about music. And, and people will say, you know, I'm just nervous that we're using music to, to manipulate people. Right? Don't you know that music can stir up the emotions and stir up feelings? To which I say, yes. Do you know that the sun can melt the snow and warm your skin? Like that, what do you think music is for? If not to make us feel. That's what it's for. To stir up the heart. To stir up emotion. We should use it as such. It's not manipulation. It's a gift from God. He knows that we feel, so he gave us music. And sometimes we worship as if it's our goal to sing to him without succumbing to a single feeling. Like, I got through that theological treatise and I didn't feel a thing. No! No! That's an unbiblical mindset. God gave us music because he knows that we feel. Praise God that the worship wars seem to be behind us. Some of us lived through those Some of us were young worship leaders in the midst of that. Some of us didn't help the cause. But how can it be that we spent so much time fighting about whether we can use this instrument or that instrument or that instrument or no instrument when Psalm 150 so clearly says, use everything you've got. Talk about an exercise in missing the mark. How did we miss that? The psalmist commands us to praise God. Just let me... The the psalmist, God's word, commands us to praise God with the trumpet sound, the lute, the harp, the tambourine, wait for it, dance. Yeah. (laughs) Marianne, you heard him. With dance, with strings, with pipe, with sounding cymbals, and then he goes on, loud clashing cymbals. This is the Holy Spirit-ordained worship service. It sounds like the ushers would be handing out earplugs. This is what God prescribed for His people. This is what He is worthy of. If we can't muster the instruments that the psalmist describes here, can we muster the enthusiasm, the adoration, the excitement, the joy? May His praise be glorious in this place. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. It needs to be said. Our worship is witness. It, says, it would say something to Alistair Begg if he was meeting the, the Cubs and there was this star player for the Cubs and he was sitting by himself with a Kool-Aid. People were walking by him. Nobody's doing anything. That's not particularly impressive, is it? It would say something to him about the worth of this team. It says something to people when they gather with us in worship And we worship like this. God is so good. He's so great, I guess. Why am I here today? That says something. I'm not saying we do that. I'm not saying we don't. (laughs) It's from time to time. I'm not saying I don't from time to time. 
Can I, can I admonish you, myself, us, as the people of God, when we gather together for worship, we're not coming here as consumers to try and take something. Oh, I, I'll sing my favorite song. Oh, I hope I feel good. No, we're coming here, responding to what God has called us to, casting aside all of the distractions, all of the very real feelings that we're struggling with, and saying, in spite of it all, He deserves praise. He has called me to praise He is mustering this up in me. He is telling me all the reasons why he's praiseworthy. And I'm going to praise him with all that I have. And I pray that when people come here, unbelievers, and they take part in these worship services, that they would walk away and say, I don't know what that was about, but whoever they were singing to, they think he's awesome. Because we do. Because we do. And I hope that they see reverence in us too. Right? I'm not talking about silliness. I hope that they see reverence and awe and wonder and joy and exuberance in our worship. William Plumer notes, the righteous set no bounds to their praise of the Most High. I want to apply that really quick. William Plumer is one of the Puritans. The righteous set no bounds on their praise. Every one of us here has set bounds on our praise, whether you've thought about it or not. Every one of us has said, I don't do that. My hands go this high, right? My voice goes this loud. No, for, I'm definitely not going to try to harmonize, right? And, and my feet will move like this, but that's as much as they're going to move, right? And I will clap perhaps, but every one of us, whether we're thinking about it or not, we put these bounds on. I'm not going to bow before the Lord. I'm not going to do this. Some of us have boundaries that are broad. Some of us have boundaries that are narrow. And this Puritan tells us the righteous those who see God for who He is and love Him set no bounds, no limitation. He deserves it all. Let Him stretch you. There might just be a Sunday where, where you are a particularly reserved person and you say, I am going to bow down as I sing this song because He deserves that. Or I'm going to dance. I'm laughing because I can't even imagine if I would really struggle with that. But I am going to dance as I sing this song. I'm going to lift my voice louder than I've ever lifted it before in praise to God today. I'm going to stretch the boundaries because he exceeds any boundary I could ever set. Fourth and finally, we've talked about the where of worship and we've talked about the why of worship and we've talked about the how of worship, but here we come to the breadth of worship or the who. The psalm book ends with these words, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, this is a call to the congregation. And we're hearing that call. And we're going to respond to that call. We're going to worship Him with all that we have this morning. But it's a call that extends beyond the congregation, isn't it? This is an imperative that reaches out beyond these walls. Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Your neighbor who keeps spurning your invitations to church, let them praise the Lord. Your aunt, who hates when you bring up the gospel at Thanksgiving dinner, let her praise the Lord. And the kings and the rulers and the authorities, let them praise the Lord. And the unreached people groups, let them praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. This call to worship is simultaneously a call to mission. John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because Psalm 150, verse 6, is not yet happening. Everything that has breath is not yet praising the Lord. And that 
reality. That longing is supposed to propel us into the world. Because God deserves the praise of your neighbor. And he deserves the praise of your grumpy aunt. And he deserves the praise of the prime minister. And he deserves the praise of every unreached people's group. He deserves all of the praise. I'm convinced by the word of God that you will never find a church who is passionate about missions who is not first and foremost passionate about worship. People who attend corporate worship once a month, twice a month, who sing begrudgingly with a scowl on their face, who, whose minds wander off to sitcoms and sports while the word is preached, will never change the world because they don't want to change the world. They will never invite others into worship because they're not even entering into worship themselves. Why would they go out? How, why would anyone have the audacity to go into the world and declare, praise the Lord, when they're not even willing to say that to the person in the mirror? This psalm presents us with a call. It's a call to behold God, to respond with everything we can muster, to seek the expansion of the worship of God until every single thing in this world that has breath praises Him. And that day will come. Did you know that? That day will come. I know that day will come. We've seen a glimpse of it in Revelation 7. The Apostle John had this vision. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All creatures here below. It goes on. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There's the heavenly host. One day every people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will lift up their voices in praise and adoration. And until that day, my prayer is that this gathering right here and every gathering gathering around this city and this country, but I'm praying particularly for this gathering right here, that this would be a foretaste of the day that is to come. Let the world hear our song. Let the world find here a family that gathers together to give thanks, not once a year, but every single week. Let the world come to know us as the people of praise. J.I. Packer once wrote, Prayer and praise are like a bird's two wings. With both working, you soar. With one out of action, you are earthbound. But birds should not be earthbound, nor Christians praiseless. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. I want to invite the worship team back up to lead us this morning. I want to invite you to make His praise glorious in this city. And I want to invite you to declare with me this call to worship. We're going to say this together. Psalm 150. Is this on the screen? Yep. And we're going to say this like we mean it. And we're going to stretch the limitations. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. 
Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together and we're going to praise together. Heavenly Father, we declare in this place that You deserve praise. You deserve it. We love You. Would You overflow in this place gratitude in the hearts of Your people that we would make Your name glorious in this place. God, we want to ascribe to You all of who You are. You are holy and You are loving and You are powerful and You are merciful and You are a refuge and You are a strength and You are a comfort for Your people and You are the author and creator of all things. You are the final victor. You are the King of heaven and earth and You deserve praise. And so we're going to give it to You. And we repent for all the times that we give our praise to things that do not deserve our praise. We repent for all of the parts of our mind that even now are distracted by things that do not deserve our praise or our attention. We give it to you. Not, not as a response to some emotional appeal. Not as a response to the, the sway of a congregation. But as a response to you and your greatness. We love you. Be pleased with the praises of your people. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's sing together.